This is Questions of Faith on Radio Maria. Today we have for you Father Toby Lees, Priest Director of Radio Maria England, here to answer all of your questions. Hello, and we also have joining him in the London studio, we have Anna. Hello, Anna and Father Toby. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello, Helena. Hello, Anna. And hello to... Marriage and valid marriages. Um, They've asked, my grandparents are going to Florence tomorrow for their niece's wedding. She's getting married after living with her fiancé for seven years and they're not getting married in a church. But at least I'm pretty sure she is a baptised Catholic. Do I have a moral obligation to tell them it's not a valid marriage? What do you make of that, Father Toby? It's one of those uh, annoying things where the um, priest or you know whoever you're asking for advice is going to say to you, "It's a it's a matter of prudence," <laughs> um, and uh, and people hate that answer, and it sounds like a a, a cop out. Um, but it's why actually the St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that the the virtue of prudence is is the most um, important of the of the moral virtues. It's where the the, the sort of the, the intellect and the and the moral um, virtues virtues meet. So prudence is both a moral virtue and an intellectual virtue, and it's that virtue of practical reason whereby we we take what we know and we apply it um, to. Uh, to to any given situation and what the person doing here is is part of what aquinas actually recommends for the exercise of the the virtue of prudence or at least the person is intending to do uh, what aquinas says because i'm not going to call myself wise um but he he suggests that part of the exercise of the virtue of prudence is to is to ask you know wise people for counsel um mm-hmm. on on questions but it's not always necessary that they're going to give you uh, a straight you must or you, or you must not and this and this is this is one of those um occasions and i think in in looking at a, at a situation like this it's like why why do we do anything sort of with regards to to religion at all well the reason that, that we do anything is because we want this person to to know the love of god to to love god and so to um know him in in, in eternity in in, in heaven mm-hmm. and so you've got to take something of you of what you know of the situation of these people at the moment you know given that they've been living together for for for, for seven years um that would seem that they're either ignorant or at least in some way distant from the the teaching of the the church or, or caring about the teaching of the church at the moment so you're saying to them i imagine like oh did you know that your marriage won't be valid mm-hmm. um i think i think or, what the, or to the to the grandparent to, to the, the grandparents to the grandparents yeah, yeah. um it, it, it sort of what i what i would is probably not going to have any 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 effect or um or just sort of cause a reaction so i don't think I don't think there's a scandal in the grandparents um, attending attending the, the the wedding. Like, I don't think the person should be thinking, "Oh, well, I need to tell them so that they don't they don't go to it." But rather, what I think would be helpful in this sort of situation is to to ask the question, "Oh, do you know if they if they plan on having a, a religious wedding? You know, when they when they when they get back, so that the so that the marriage can be." 
registered with the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that way, the moment was like, oh, I don't know. Like, did that? Did you, does that actually need to need need to need to happen? And just to to um, to ask a question in in an innocent way to try and sort of gauge the the ignorance of the of the grandparents with respect to this, and perhaps the ignorant and what they know about the ignorance of the couple mm-hmm. with regards to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Do you just want to explain quickly for people who are listening who might be a bit confused about why a Catholic um, getting married outside of the Catholic Church, why that marriage might not be considered valid, while we would consider, say, two Anglicans getting married as having a valid marriage? Yeah. Um, so from the moment that you're you're baptized, which is which is why we shouldn't take baptism uh, lightly. And it's why also you you shouldn't as um as some people you know there's, there's the there's the case of of grandparents um baptizing the you know the kid in the bar in the bathtub because they're sort of anxious that um uh, parents haven't done that and I know of of that having happened but actually once once you're um once you're sort of baptized there's a whole host of obligations sort of placed upon you now obviously these are obligations which are intended to lead you into eternal life but um but uh one of the the baptized in the in the catholic um church needs the permission of the catholic church to to get to get married um and whereas obviously somebody who's not baptized into the catholic church doesn't need the the permission um, of the of the Catholic Church to to get to get married, and so um, by by getting married outside of the the Catholic Church in a non Catholic ceremony without the permission of the the Church, the the Church won't recognise um, their 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 marriages as being as being valid, and that's why I think we were in a conversation a, a little while ago, and we um, we were speaking about sort of you know Boris Johnson's um, situation and it looks essentially like the catholic church is just sort of you know doing the prime minister a special favor or it looks like the catholic church does allow um divorce and remarriage but rather boris johnson baptized catholic um you know he didn't seek permission of the catholic church for either of his previous marriages and therefore they were invalid mm-hmm. in, in the eyes of the the church and then things are further sort of complicated um, in the contemporary situation, by the the division of of church and state in so many European countries. So, for example, in France, like you have to have uh, a marriage in a in a registry office. The church doesn't have any power to to register um, uh, a marriage in in France. Mm-hmm. And so, you get people who. But, you know, they just don't understand and they think, oh, well, I thought if I got married there, that would be sort of recognized. And that, yeah, there's lots of confusion. Lots of people have to have two wedding days. Mm-hmm. Um, this raises a more interesting question as to what counts as a Catholic, because I think a lot of people might, in describing themselves as a Catholic, use that to mean, well, I believe what the Catholic Church teaches and I'm a practicing Catholic. And if I were to stop believing what the Church teaches and stop going to Mass, then I wouldn't be a Catholic anymore. Whereas from a canon law perspective, you're a Catholic if you're if you're baptized, I think, um, as far as I know. Um, why why do you think that's the way it works from, from the Church's perspective? It's not based on your subjective um, you know, relationship to the Church. 
Yeah. Um, because there are certain certain of the sacraments which we we talk about as being sort of indelible and uh, and, and and creating a, a sacramental character in the person, and um, and baptism uh, isn't isn't is indelible. It marks. It changes the the person for for life. Um, they can, by the way they live their life, they can cut themselves off from the, the fruits of the, the graces opened up by baptism, i.e. through committing sort of mortal sin, through you know, apostasy, turning, turning back on God, uh, refusing to, to believe in him. But the historical fact of their baptism remains. And so this is why actually there's, I think it's a court case going on in Belgium at the moment some somewhere in Europe there are there are certain people who over people who said we no longer believe what the the church teaches and mm -hmm. therefore we want to have our names removed from the the baptismal register and the church is refusing to do this um, because it says no your baptism is a matter of historical fact yeah. And this register records the fact that you were baptized and we cannot delete your name from this register because that would be in a certain sense to, to make a lie and a, a mockery of the whole register. And actually, I've, I've, had a, I've had a situation here where a, a woman came up to me and clearly the situation was like very complicated, but essentially she wanted her son's name removed from the baptismal register because he was um, Muslim now, or like the family had become Muslim, I think, you know, through a, a marriage situation, I had to say, "Well, we can't, we can't do that." And she started to threaten me and got a bit of I said, "I understand why you want to do that, but the register is a register of a historical fact, and you cannot be unbaptized." Mm -hmm. uh, we have another question. This one is about angels, which I'll play for you. Good morning, Father Toby. Uh, my question is uh, whether there's anything in the scriptures or in church tradition that gives us a little more information on guardian angels, how they compare with other angels, um, and how uh, they interact with us and with God on our behalf. Thank you. So, angels, guardian angels. What are they? What do they do? Angels. How do they work? Well, you know, angels. It's, it's amazing. Even when sort of people cease to to believe in God, they still continue to to believe in angels. And I think so. The, <laughs> the angels. Uh, I'm not saying that that's the case with Alba who asked that question. Um, but the the angels. Uh, I think it's still the most popular selling calendar is the angels uh, calendar each year. Um, but it's interesting thing, when we when we speak about uh, angels, we're doing a, a little bit, and here's a an analogy you probably didn't expect to come up. It's a bit like when we speak about hoovers, um, because we speak about hoover, but hoover, hoovers are just one variety of vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. And we refer to angels, which comes from the Greek word uh, angelos, meaning messenger, to actually refer to the whole um, host of uh, incorporeal um, beings. What do I mean by incorporeal? Without without a body, all all those um, uh, beings created by God that are pure spirit, and only uh, potentially a small proportion of those actually have the the task of of messengers. Um, others have various different tasks, and in the in the scriptures, we 
we get um, in, in St. Paul's description uh, the names of nine different sort of categories of 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 angels um you know it's possible that there might that there might be more um but there certainly can't be less because mm-hmm. that's in the scriptures but even then those those categories are a little bit of a a concession to the our inability to see things as they are because we obviously we can't see immaterial beings and so therefore like aquinas says that we we give them these categorizations um because it just makes it easier for us to comprehend. But in fact, um, each an- each angel, each uh, immaterial spirit is in fact its unique own thing. Mm-hmm. It actually belongs to the, when when things are, are made bodily, then then we can properly speak of speak of species. Whereas a- each angel is a, is a pure is a pure form. Is its is its own thing, but nonetheless, we we categorize um, them. And uh, in an excellent article, sort of uh, really good on on the angels um, by Abbot Vonier, he he speaks about um, when we when we look at uh, the church's teaching on the angels. Well, we're we're taking we're taking something from 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 scripture. Um, we're taking uh, something from the the fathers and their and their writing on on the angels, and then also it is a, a realm of real the- theological speculation, and mm-hmm. this is absolutely fine and um, and, and, and proper and a, and a and a good thing to to do, um, and a lot of what we say about angels comes under. A, a category of theological thinking which St Thomas Aquinas uses a lot um which is called like it's fit, fittingness mm-hmm. um so it's not that we actually have sort of scriptural data to say yes there is exactly this this thing but rather given everything else that we know about god given all the glory say of the of the material uh, creation and given that we exist at the apex of creation as the only creatures who are who are body body and and immaterial soul, that it would seem really bizarre if an if an immaterial god had completely stacked the creation mm-hmm. um, just with material material beings. Um, and so we believe actually there is this glorious immaterial creation which is which is beyond our knowing. But we are given regular um, hints of this in the in 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 the scriptures. Um, lots and lots of mentions of angels in the scriptures. But I would say that the the scriptural sort of passage, which I would say comes closest to to, to giving us our sort of theological stepping off point um, for thinking about guardian angels is uh is in matthew 18 um verses 10 and 11 where in the the parable of the lost at the beginning of the parable of the lost sheep jesus says uh, see that you do not despise one of these little ones for i tell you that in heaven their angels always behold the face of my father who is in heaven mm-hmm. so that seems to give us an intimation of you know each person, each of these little ones, having their own angel um, in heaven who, who is looking out for them. And again, because angels are because angels are immaterial, 
it's perfectly possible and no just through the intellect not through the senses it's perfectly possible for uh, one angel to look out for, for thousands of us or, or for millions of us mm-hmm. but in the in the great gratuity of of god's creation and the simple fact that he can create with such abundance it just seems more fitting to say that in fact he has created a, a guardian angel for for each of us and the and the theological understanding of this is going back now to the the baptized question is not that we get a guardian angel on being baptized but that we have a guardian angel on the on the moment of being of being conceived um so every single person baptized or unbaptized has their has their own guardian angel who is who is seeking to sort of to, to prompt to prompt them and to uh and to and and to help them um, mm-hmm. obviously an, angels cannot cannot coerce they can they can only sort of prompt but uh people have a very strong sense and here i would say we get to a, a proper sense of the, the sense of the faithful of it in certain situations in life a guardian angel having sort of in, in, inter, intervened yeah um to to have done something and, and i i i wouldn't seek to to say to to somebody um otherwise but to to read most about um the angels i'd i'd recommend uh, aquinas's treatise on the on the angels um and uh also to watch uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful <laughs> um, a great film There's to a watch great opening scene which is very biblically accurate of uh, angels as galaxies talking to each other <laughs> um now we're going to go to a music break Thank you, Anna and Father Toby. Just for our listeners, just to let you know, please do call in with your questions. Call in. I want to hear your voice asking your questions. The number is 01-223-375-564. You can WhatsApp your questions as well if you're nervous about it coming on. But don't be. Father Toby and Anna love it, love it. They're so good. So we're waiting for your call. 01-223-375-564. Angel band, come and around me stand. Bear me away on your snow white wings to my This is Radio Maria, and this is Questions of Faith. Today we have Anna and Father Toby sharing some questions and sharing some answers. But for now, we have a caller. We have Anastasia from the London area. Good, hello, Anastasia. You're on air. Good morning, Radio Maria. Good morning, Father Toby. Nice to hear your voice. Lovely to hear yours as well. Uh, thank you. Uh, I might sound silly, but... Um, angel, our angel, during the celebration of Mass, when the Eucharist is lifted up the host, 
or during that, do you feel there is guardian angel around you? Like I, I, I think I. First of all, the the church te- teaches that the angels, you know, are are there um, at the at, mm-hmm. at the at the mass, um, you know, and, and and we say, and so with all the choirs of angels, we we proclaim um, never ending chorus, holy, 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 um, Lord God of hosts, um, and I would I would say sometimes as a as a priest, my my feelings correspond more with what i know to be true and, and other times i i i feel it i feel it less um you know as as a priest ce- celebrating the mass every time you celebrate it you want to have the most intense sort of devotion and feeling of everything that's going on but but just being human um sometimes inevitably you're you're in a slightly more distracted uh thing maybe you've just received some uh, terrible news from someone before you 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 go you go into into church and so that's on your mind and you're trying to take it to prayer but also you're you're conscious of that news and and worried and worried about it so i would say that i have had 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 moments where i felt very profoundly um even sometimes just in celebrating mass by myself that this is that this is not just me um and uh yeah and and i i know of sort of other 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 people who have the very strong sense and, and people who um say that they've had visions of, of of angels at mass and i don't dismiss any of that mm-hmm. mm, thank you but definitely uh, uh father our parish priest and <clears throat> Father Scannon Michael, I know I have a feeling he has, he does see an angel. I I feel something or he might stop and he might see some sort of, I know some priest does. Yes. uh, Yes. And Mm -hmm. especially when the uh, exposition of the Eucharist when we have the adoration in the morning, in the host, I'm sure I have heard the testament that they have seen our Christ face and the heart of Jesus. This lady, I used to know, she passed away at 94. Her name was Irene Ward, and she has seen during the adoration and she wasn't catholic and she she, she you know become a catholic very recently before you know she died but she had seen our lord in the eucharist and since then she she could heal people i have seen it and yeah. well, yes these these things are, are very interesting because we remember the the Eucharist um, is in itself a, 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 a miracle, um, but then there are there are in addition sort of other miracles which are sometimes granted uh, around the Eucharist. Now, sometimes sometimes they 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 pertain actually to the to the Eucharistic species, so to, to that particular um, host. 
um, that, uh, as has happened with some that have have started to to, to bleed, and and then people have done tests, and the, and the tissue seems to be that of uh, that of the of the heart. Now, it's not the church's teaching that the Eucharist is is the heart of Jesus. Rather, the Eucharist is the the body, blood, soul, and divinity of of mm-hmm. Jesus. It's more than more than just his heart. It's that's the, the the whole of Jesus. And yet, through God's loving providence, in certain cases, in order that belief might be increased in the in the masses, particular miracles are granted for the purpose of of, build, of building up faith. So, when somebody sees the the face of, of Christ in in the Eucharist, um, yes. they're being they're being granted a, a particular gift in that particular moment. But it's not that. For the rest of us, if when we're looking at the Eucharist, we're not seeing the face of Christ, we're not seeing what's there, because no. rather the face of Christ isn't in the Eucharist no, no. Or, ordinarily. But in any particular moment, um, God might grant a particular gift to a to yes. a particular particular person. But the, one of the things, so we we can re- rejoice in these things, but our faith shouldn't be based entirely on these things. No. And um. And and we don't need to worry if we don't see such things no, uh, no, no. ourselves. That's not a sign of our lack of faith. Yes. Yeah. yes, we have faith. That's it. That's all it. We, that's all we need. We have faith. One God. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. Carlo Acutis. He he yeah. he built up a whole list of uh, Eucharistic miracles. That's uh, yes. as the church's first uh, beatified blogger. Um, he yeah. uh, and I think the first um, beatus buried in or put in a tracksuit in the in the tomb um he yep you can you can look and and exhibitions go round um giving details of all the various eucharistic miracles that he documented yeah so thank thank you very much for your question thank you for having me father anastasia god bless you father take you yes abe maria thank you thank you all right ladies and gentlemen that thank you anastasia for sharing that question and your reflection as well this is a live program right now and we would love for another caller to call. Come on, let's the lines are open. The number is This is from Jamie. He asks, how can one discern between being realistic about life and being overly optimistic or pessimistic about our current circumstances? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so I would speak, first of all, about we all have different temperaments. Mm-hmm. Um, having spoken about the angels um, being uh, unique forms, the human beings in our in our material incarnation, we, we have different uh, temp- temperaments and some of us are just more naturally inclined to being optimistic and others are more naturally inclined to being pessimistic within all that we have the theological virtue of hope which is not about temperament but rather is a, is a gift from from god um, which enables us to say even though life is hard heaven is attainable for me 
um, mm-hmm. and it's worth sort of persevering and it's worth fighting the fight. Now, within the, I'd say there's a, a legitimate scope of optimism and pessimism but if the person if i walked out into uh, into glorious sunshine um, wouldn't that be nice to do right now <laughs> but if i were to walk out into glorious sun- sunshine and and there wasn't a cloud in the sky and anna were to say to me oh but it's going to rain again soon yeah i would say well, that you're just being gloomy like what, mm-hmm. what what reason have you got for thinking that? Look 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 at it. So there can be a there can be an, an irrational pessimism and, a, and an irrational optimism. Um, in the same way, if we walk out into a raging thunderstorm and you say, "Oh, I bet it'll brighten up in a couple of minutes," <laughs> I'd be like, "Well, what are your gr- what are your grounds for for saying that?" And so I think different people, particularly with regards to this question, seem to sort of intimate something of the of the cultural. Um, moment and the and the direction of society maybe maybe I'm, I'm just reading between the the lines i think there 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 is scope for saying look there are green shoots and things might uh you know make a recovery but there are also lots of signs that things are going to get worse before they get better and i think both both views can exist um and we just need to make sure that we sort of checked by the, the the council and the and the and the wisdom of of, mm-hmm. of friends and uh, wise people um stay within the the parameters of, of reasonableness and i think i'm increasingly becoming one of the sort of the pessimists about the about the culture and i increasingly find myself buying into and have, have quoted um Tolkien's sort of idea of the the long the long defeat um and that doesn't mean that you know, mm-hmm. I think that I'm in despair about everything, but rather I, I think that signs are that things are going to get worse before they get better. But nonetheless, you can have this, what Tolkien calls you, you catastrophes, whereby God pluck, works a, a miracle in a completely unexpected way. And so a great example of that is at the moment that Frodo fails as they're, as they're heading into to Mordor and Frodo decides to take the ring for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that, that all hope is finished. And at that point, Gollum in wrestling with him bites off his finger and falls into Mount Doom mm-hmm. and uh, and a transformation is brought about. I think it's also probably important not to be too committed to your optimism or your pessimism. Mm. Like going back to the virtue of prudence, which is what I did a lot of my dissertation on. Um, well, for Joseph Pieper, who I was reading, prudence is like the, f- the first virtue in some ways. Prudence and humility are very much connected for him. And it's basically about not not imposing yourself on the world um, in order to to understand how to think about the world and how to do what is good. You need to first just let let it um, come to you rather than try and just interpret it according to your own narrow vision. Um, so I think it's, it's always a good sign if if um, thinking about whether you enjoy optimism or pessimism. Mm-hmm. And if you do, that's that's something to to be aware of, and whether you might actually enjoy interpreting everything in a pessimistic way. Um, and if that's the case, then um, making sure that you're actually open to good shoots and bad shoots, and willing to recognise them when you see them. I think that's really well put. I I love that idea of not imposing yourself upon the world, mm-hmm. um, because yeah, then you will start to see everything through a particular lens and in that Freudian way everything will just fit your pre-existing 
conception whether something good happens or something bad happens you'll just fit it into your either optimistic thing or, or your or your pessimistic uh thing yeah read joseph peeper and also just to just to say as you said sort of you can start to sort of hold on and treasure in the interview i did um which you can watch on on youtube with uh shah um who plays uh simon peter in in the chosen he spoke about holding on to anger as this sort of delicious thing we can because we start to really enjoy our anger and we have to be particularly careful that we don't enjoy our pessimism too mm-hmm. much Wonderful. I think that's a good note to end on. Do you want to end with a prayer, Father Toby? Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come to know you better, to to bring our questions um, about you um, on this radio, confident that it is possible to to know you better because you desire that you that we know you in order that we might love you more and more and so we pray for all our all our listeners um that they might grow in faith and love of god amen amen in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen and then uh also just to tell you coming up uh, a little bit later um, today at four o'clock, we've got a really special guest coming live on air with us, the Superior General of the Maronite Order, the Most Reverend Abbot Hadi Mahus, um, is going to be visiting the, the London studio and is going to be on Credo with me. Um, so if any of you have any questions that you would like to uh, me to, to put to the to the Abbot Hadi Mahus, then you can uh, you can phone the phone the studio or email them in in the in the normal way um details on the on the website uh, but it'd be great to have some of your questions to put to him